Morning. <laughs> okay. I said good morning. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Good to worship with you today. Man, what a, that was a great, just a great time of worship together. Um, yeah, our worship team is fantastic. You can, you can applaud them for sure. Uh, we're going to finish 1 John today. So pretty excited to wrap this up. It's been a great book, been a challenging book, hopefully. Hopefully you've been challenged through this, encouraged. Uh, today we want to end with confidence, and so that's where we're going to be heading. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 14. While you're turning there, let me just remind you, next week is Christmas in July, and so uh, would love to have you come, but also bring a friend, bring a guest with you next week. It's going to be a great service. Uh, we're going to sing some Christmas worship. We're going to worship the, the, the King who came to save and talk about the importance of Jesus's coming to earth and the importance of our response to that and uh, just enjoy worshiping him uh, together. So please come next week, bring somebody with you. This is a great time to invite your friends, family, neighbors, strangers, anybody you want to bring with you. Uh, also, uh, next Monday, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, our Malawi team is heading to uh, Malawi. We're finally there. We're ready for our trip. And uh, we have one more thing to ask of you, and that is we ask you to cover us in prayer. We need your prayers. We need your prayers as we prepare this week. We need your, your prayers as we travel. Uh, and we certainly need your prayers while we're there ministering. Nothing of eternal significance is going to happen apart from prayer. So please join us in praying. I'm going to post uh, this week on the, our, in our Facebook group uh, a sign up. We want to have 24 hours prayer. We want to pray around the clock. And so there's going to be a sign up sheet on our Facebook group that you can go and you can pick a time slot. We have every half an hour marked off. And so you can sign up. Uh, those of you who work the midnight shifts or those of you who are up in the middle of the night for any reason, we're counting on you. We need you. We need you to sign up. Otherwise, we're going to have some gaps in our prayer. And uh, while everyone here is sleeping, that's when we're going to be up doing ministry. And so please help us get every one of those slots filled. You'll see uh, because we go every half hour, there's 48 slots that need filled. And so you just pick one of those, whether it's 11.30 a.m. or you know 4 p.m., whatever, you pick one, put your name on it, and then set an alarm, set a reminder, set some way of reminding yourself every day to pray at that time for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and you can be praying. We're going to be ministering to um, about 100 pastors there, as well as uh, we have 35 couples coming to a marriage conference that we're going to do. We have church ministry leaders coming to be trained. Uh, we're going to be visiting uh, people in hospitals, visiting several of the villages that we've provided clean water wells for. So you can just be praying for the whole gamut. There's all kinds of good stuff that's going to be happening. So please pray as God leads you. I'm also going to try to put in our Facebook group some different things that you can pray for each day. And so if you do sign up to pray, you can look there uh, for some more guidance. So again, there'll be a sign-up sheet online. Please, uh, please sign up through that online sign-up sheet so that we're covered in prayer. All right, let's look at the word together. Like I said, we're in 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 14 through the end of the book, which will be verse 21. The Bible says this. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have 
what we have asked of him. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin that doesn't lead to death. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him. And the, the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Concluding words of 1 John, verse 21, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Would you pray with me as we consider this text together? Father, we love you. We love your word. We come to you today hungry. Speak to us. Make, make yourself known in this place. Teach us from your word. Holy Spirit, have your way in this room that we might come closer to you, that we might turn from sin, that we might adequately represent you in this world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 1 John has been a, a series of tests and challenges, a series of tests and challenges that, is, as we learned last week when Pastor Greg was preaching, were meant to give us confidence that we are indeed standing firm in the truth and that we are saved, forgiven, and, and guaranteed eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so sometimes to have confidence, you have to get shaken a little bit. Sometimes you have to be challenged and then you come through that challenge and you have a greater confidence. And so that's where we wanna end today. I believe that's where John was intending for us to, to find ourselves by the end of his letter that we would be confident in Christ. And there are three areas that he touches on in this concluding passage where it would do us well to have confidence. In fact, these three areas... Um, I think, obviously, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, are areas that we often lack confidence. And so I think as we look at this together, if you were paying attention as I read, you realize there's some challenging things in this text, but I think you'll see the beauty of those challenging things as we go through. So if you have the handout in front of you, uh, this is the outline that we're gonna follow today. Because we are in Jesus Christ, we have confidence. And then I wanna give you three things that as we end First John, we should have confidence in because we are in Jesus Christ. The first one, we have confidence that our prayers are answered. We have confidence that our prayers are answered one of the areas where Christians tend to be the least confident is in the answering of our prayers. We've, we've, we've come to expect that God is not going, sometimes we've come to expect that God is not going to do what we want him to do. Why is that? Why do we lack confidence in the area of prayer? Well, there are several reasons. Some of them are legitimate, some of them aren't. Let's look at the text together. Verse 14, John says, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, 
we know that we have what we have asked of him. So the confidence that we have in prayer comes with some stipulations. What are the stipulations? John mentions namely here, if we ask anything according to his will. That's a big stipulation. You see, prayer is, is not approaching God like a genie in the bottle where you rub the lamp and you get three wishes. I'm sure you've all been challenged with that scenario at some point in your life. If you're an adult here, I'd be curious to know um, if somebody's asked you that recently. It's more of a childhood game. But this idea of if you had three wishes, if you could ask for anything you wanted, what would you ask for? And of course, if you had three wishes and could ask for anything that you wanted, typically either the first wish or the third wish was going to be what? For more wishes, right. Yeah, we're not dumb. If we only get three wishes, but we can ask for anything we want for, we're going to ask for unlimited wishes, right? That should be one of them. And sometimes we think that prayer should work that way. We think that prayer should be because we have faith in God. Sometimes we mistakenly think because we've been good Christians or we've behaved or we've done something that pleases him, God should do whatever we want. Fortunately, God doesn't work that way. Stop and think about what the world would be like if God answered every prayer exactly as it was asked. That would be a chaotic world, wouldn't it? That would be, that would be a disastrous world. I, you've probably lived long enough to know that even in just your own life, if God answered your prayers only, the way that you asked them, would your life be better or would it be worse? I mean, I mean across the board, every prayer you've ever prayed, would your life be better or worse? I'd contend it would be much worse. I would contend that you have asked for, just like I have, asked for a lot of things that ultimately would not have been for your good. I know I've used this illustration before, but it's kind of like our, our job as parents is not to give our kids everything they want. What, what an awful way to parent to give your children everything that they ask for. That is the surest way to ruin their lives. You will destroy them. You, you, you will ruin their lives faster than you can imagine if you give your kids everything. Why is that? Why shouldn't we give our kids everything we want? Because we know more than they know. Kids, I know there's a few kids in this room. Believe it or not, your parents know better than you do. That's the way life works. <laughs> because we know better, we withhold from them things that they want. We withhold from them things that, that we know ultimately would not be for their good. And this is the principle that John is touching on here. He's, he's saying, this is our confidence if we ask anything according to his will. He's a good God. He's a good God that does not willingly ruin the lives of his children by giving them everything that they ask for just as they have asked for it. I can think of several things in my life that I prayed diligently for and I thank God that he didn't answer. 
You know, maybe Garth Brooks was onto something. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, aren't they? No 90s country fans in here. Okay, all right, whatever. But God is, is, he's better than that. He's better than a genie in the bottle. He's a sovereign, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God. And so sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers because they don't align with his will. Our will and his will are going in different directions. John makes it clear here that it's only when we ask according to his will. In other words, when our wills align, when we ask, when we ask according to what he in his goodness, in his infinite wisdom knows is best for our lives, we will surely get what we have asked for. That's one of the most difficult pills to swallow as a Christian, I think. We pray for things that we desperately want. And oftentimes they're good things. It's, I'm not just talking about selfish things. I, get, I gotta confess, uh, Kim and I went away for a few days this week and um, while we were out of town, I played the lottery. <laughs> I did. It's not good stewardship, I know. But it was fun. <laughs> we were just having fun. I played the lottery. We, I bought a Powerball ticket. I didn't win. I, I know it's a shock. It's a surprise. I was tempted to pray, <laughs> but I knew better. And then, and then in God's sovereignty, I was actually listening to an audio book that, that expounded upon the dangers of instant wealth. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there almost with Powerball ticket in hand. It was next to me, listening to an audio book, just, just reminding me that sudden wealth, more often than not, actually ruins the lives of many, many people. And yet we still want it. We still, we still want to be rich. Thank God that he doesn't answer our prayers when we ask for things that aren't part of his will. You should be very grateful for that. There are, that now listen, that's a silly example um, because you would probably need a new pastor had I won, but <laughs> not really. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what would happen. <laughs> it would have been pretty hard to get out of bed this morning. I'll say that. <laughs> um, that's a silly example, but oftentimes we pray for things that are far more important. We pray for loved ones who are sick. Pray for loved ones who are dying. We pray for loved ones who are caught up in addiction. And we think we have the best answer in mind. How, how do we reconcile our desire in situations like that with God's seeming lack of desire to give us what we've asked for? When, when my youngest daughter, Reagan, was diagnosed um, with a, a, a prenatal brain injury and all the subsequent disabilities and stuff, you better believe we prayed a lot for a miraculous healing. We wanted nothing more. I don't think you know what it is to want something until one of your children 
are not well. We prayed a lot for a miraculous healing. And God didn't give it. He did do a lot of miracles. He did do a lot. He did a lot. I think he did greater miracles than instant healing. I think that God has done over the last 15 years far more through her disability than perhaps would have happened had she received instantaneous, miraculous healing. So we're not just talking about the desire to win the Powerball and be filthy rich and not have to put up with Greg anymore. (laughs) We're talking about real things, real things. And, and, and you might look at my example and say, well, well, that's great. Your daughter's still alive and you see God using her to do good things. My, my daughter's not alive. How do I reconcile that with God's good will? And clearly the answer to that is we've got to have a view of God that is big enough to reconcile those types of things beyond this lifetime to have a healthy view of heaven. We have to know that this life is just a small speck of eternity. That God has a plan beyond these few decades on this earth that will show his goodness. And so our confidence here is that our prayers are answered. Not confidence that we'll get anything we ask for because John doesn't say that. He says if we ask anything according to his will. Furthermore, James in chapter four of his book in verses two and three says, you do not have because you do not ask. That's another reason why our prayers may not be answered because we haven't made them known. We haven't asked. But then he goes on to say, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Sometimes it's, it's our motives that are the obstacle to God answering our prayers. God answers our prayers according to his will. Of that we can have confidence. So pray. Pray confidently. Pray often. Pray about everything. Pray boldly and then rest knowing that he answers. He answers every prayer that you utter according to his will and according to his good plan for your life. There's something so enriching, so healthy, so encouraging about being free to pray anything and then just say, God, but your will be done. You can pray boldly. You can ask for anything that you desire and then leave it in his hands and walk away confident. My God is good enough to do what is best for me. My God is good enough to answer my prayers according to his will. Because we're in Jesus Christ, we have confidence that our prayers are answered. Next, the second thing that we can have confidence of, you'll see on the handout, we have confidence that our intercession is effective. Our intercession is effective. Be helpful to explain that a little bit, uh, but first let me, let me read the passage. Uh, 
to understand intercession, let's look at verses 16 and 17 together. This is what John says. He says, if anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to him. That is, to, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about it. I'm not saying he should pray about that. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. So everything from the middle of verse 16 and forward is an explanation of a topic that he introduced. The topic is sin that leads to death versus sin that doesn't lead to death. The, the command, though, that we should have confidence is the beginning of verse 16. If you see a fellow believer committing sin, ask God and God will give life to that fellow believer. Intercession is the, is, is the task of going before God on behalf of somebody else. Intercession is the ministry that we have to, to stand in the gap between God and those who are apart from him because they are dead in their sin and to seek to reconcile them back to God. That's our intercession. Our ministry, let me just say it maybe more, uh, somewhat more simply, uh, the, the task that you have been given to help people know and experience God in their life. That ministry, we have confidence that is effective in Jesus Christ. Your effort to help people see, know, love, and experience your Savior, Jesus Christ, works. Again, I said these are three areas that we often lack confidence. Confidence. If you're like me, you, you probably at times lack confidence in the effectiveness of your efforts to help people experience Jesus. You invite them, you try to share the gospel with them, you, do, you pray for them, you serve them, and they don't respond. And so you lose confidence. John wants us to have confidence that our ministry of bringing other people back to God is effective. It is working. It is having an impact. Now, there are some issues in this passage. I want to deal with these issues, this kind of as a parenthesis here, and then we'll come back to the main point of, of, of this section here. The issues are, are, are this. In the beginning of verse 16, where it says, fellow believer, um, that is... That is a translation choice made by the CSB. Some, some translations, most translations, I believe, actually just say brother. Uh, that's because in the original language, the, the word means brother and could mean, it could mean a fellow believer. The question is, is John using the word brother to refer to a brother in Christ or just a fellow human being? Those are options, and, and these are translation issues. If you've, if you've ever attempted to learn another a foreign language, then you know the challenge of translating is that there's rarely like a one-to-one -one correlation between words. Oftentimes, there's a word in one language that can mean many things in another language. Or there's a word in one language that means many things in this language, and you have to decide, 
which word you're going to translate that to into another language. Let me give you an easy example. When I say the English word trunk, T-R-U-N-K, what do you think of? Let me hear some things. Car trunk? Tree trunk? An elephant's nose? Those are all very different things. You might say uh, suitcase. That's, so that's kind of an older use of the word trunk. These are all radically different things. And so if you're trying to translate the word trunk in English into another language, which one of those things are you going to choose? It's going to make a pretty big difference. Whether you, whether you choose to translate it into the other language's correlation for an elephant's nose or the base of a tree is going to make a huge difference in meaning. And so how do we know? Well, the answer is usually found in the context. If, if I'm talking about going on vacation and I throw in the word trunk, I've narrowed it down a little bit. I'm probably talking about either my car trunk or a suitcase. But I need, I need more information. I'm probably not talking about an elephant's nose though, right? And so, so here we have the word what's often translated as brother, and there was a translation decision made here in the CSB to say this is fellow believer, but that creates some problems. What is this talk of a fellow believer committing a sin that leads to death? Well, there are some possible solutions. Um, one, one is that this is not a fellow believer, that this is just another person, and that uh, John, being a Jewish man with an Old Testament mindset, is referring to the Old Testament law, wherein there were sins that were punishable by death, and then there were sins that could be forgiven um, by carrying out a sacrifice. And so he, he could be talking about that. He could be talking about those sins that the Old Testament describes as punishable by death. That could be the sin that leads to death. Another possibility is that John is speaking of what's called in the New Testament apostasy, a believer who has turned away from Jesus and rejected Jesus's salvation, a very problematic concept. Um, or thirdly, probably what most of us think of, John could be referring to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus during his earthly ministry said is the one sin that cannot be forgiven. Of course, that raises a lot of problems. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Some would say that was a sin that could only be committed by those in the first century uh, during the ministry of Jesus, or is this just a rejection of Jesus as Savior? Lots of issues, all right? This passage, is, it's like having a glass of water that's got a lot of mud in it. It's hard, it's hard to see clearly, and I can't clarify all of that, but what I, what I can say is very clear in this passage is that regardless of where you're, gonna, where you're gonna go on those particular issues, the main point here is that we have an effective ministry of intercession for others. What John is clear about is that if you pray on behalf of the person who has committed a sin that does not lead to death, God will give life to him. God's response to your ministry of intercession is to give life to others. That intercession, according to this passage, takes the form of prayer. Ask and God will give. So how do we participate in this ministry of intercession? We ask. We, we, we pray to God. 
We ask him to give life to the people on our hearts and on our minds. We ask him to give life to the people around us. We ask him to change their hearts. We ask him to lead them to life. Ask and God will give and he'll lead them to life. It says God will give life to him. Perhaps we can't solve some of the difficulties of this text, but we can certainly have confidence that our intercession for other people is effective. And so if you have been praying for those in your life who are apart from Christ, who have not received salvation through the gospel of Jesus, keep interceding, keep praying, keep serving them, keep loving them, trust in God. Your intercession is effective. It is accomplishing something. God is working. 2 Corinthians 5, I love this passage that the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has listened to this reconciled us to himself. Reconciled means he has, he has resolved the issues that separated us, right? He's brought us back together. We are separated from God because of our sin. Jesus becomes the atonement for our sin and therefore reconciles us back to the God who created us. So verse 18 says, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has also given us us the ministry of reconciliation. So believer, not only have you been reconciled, but you have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the job of bringing others back to God. That is verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Verse 20 is so important. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. That means he, he put Jesus in our place on the cross. Though Jesus had no sin that he deserved to die for, no sin needing punishment, he, he takes our place he, he who did not know sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus on the cross takes our sin upon himself and in exchange he gives us his righteousness. Therefore, our job, our ministry is to reconcile other people to God, to proclaim this message of reconciliation to plead with them, as Paul said. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. This is the ministry of intercession. This is the ministry of, of declaring the gospel and, and, and being used by God as his ambassadors. Listen, for 2,000 years now, people have been coming back to God through the ministry of God's people. That is the primary means through which God uses to bring people back to himself. Believers, just like you and I, 
It would be interesting to know what percentage of people who have come to Christ over the last 2,000 years have actually come through a pastor or through somebody preaching. I think it would surprise you to know how many people have actually come to Christ through somebody that they knew who shared the gospel with them. I mean, think about that. How many of you came to Christ because somebody you know shared the gospel with you? I didn't get saved in a church service. I didn't get saved listening to a preacher. I got saved because my mom planted the seeds of the gospel message in my heart at a young age. And when the time was right, I believed. I didn't, I didn't hear a word a preacher said. Listen, I sat in church services, but I didn't hear a word a preacher said until after I became a Christ follower. This is the ministry. This is the means by which God is reconciling people to himself through his people declaring the gospel message. Our intercession is effective. Have confidence, brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, our third confidence is that our victory over sin is assured. Perhaps of these three, nah, that wouldn't be fair. Maybe for some of us, the area of, the, of these three areas, the one we have least confidence in is this one. Why does victory over sin seem so difficult to attain? And yet John says stuff like this. Let's look at verse 18 together. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. We've dealt with this before in John's uh, letter here. We'll deal with it again here today. He says, but the one who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. Some translations actually say that the, everyone who has been born of God does not continue to sin. And that's a reflection of the belief here because John has explicitly stated in this same letter that if we say we are without sin, we are liars. So we know John is, is not saying no Christian ever sins. He's, he's, he seems to be saying we don't continue in sin in the same way. We don't go on sinning without repentance. We don't go on sinning without putting up the good fight of faith to be more like Christ. This idea that we have assured victory over sin it happens, it's important to recognize the three phases of that victory over sin. The initial phase of our victory over sin is at the moment of salvation, the penalty for our sin is completely paid. At the moment of our salvation, what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sin before God is thoroughly applied to your sin account. You owe God nothing more for the sin that you have committed. Jesus has paid it in full on the cross. That's the theological term for that is justification. You are justified before God. You, your, your sin debt is wiped completely clean. And so at that moment, the penalty of sin is gone. Then there is, if that's a one-time event, there is an ongoing event of being made free from sin, from the presence of sin in your life, 
And that is what we call sanctification, where we are growing throughout our Christian walk. And it's not really like this. It's more like, like this, you know, but hopefully heading in a direction of be, becoming more like Christ throughout our lifetime as we battle against sin, as we lay hold of this new identity that we have in Christ. But there's also a third phase. And that third phase will take place when death separates our souls from these mortal bodies and we go to be with our Savior and live with him forever. And in that moment, we will be completely freed from the presence of sin forever. So the penalty for sin's already been paid if you're in Christ. The battle to become more like Christ and to, to fight against the presence of sin is ongoing throughout your lifetime. But one day, your ultimate victory over sin will take place when Jesus Christ transforms you into what he died so that you can become. And so in that way, our victory over sin is assured. You need to remind yourself of that as you battle against the presence of sin in this life because you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get overwhelmed. Why am I still doing this? Why am I not more like Christ? Why, why is sin so present in my life? And you need to fight against the presence of sin in your life, but you need to recognize that we are not yet at the point in our victory over sin where, we are, where its presence is removed from our existence. But one day we will be. As those born of God, we have this incredible treasure that we have been set free from the penalty of our sins. That's the good news of salvation. We are being set free from the presence of our sin and one day we'll be completely free from sin. Furthermore, John goes on to say that we have been rescued from the deception that Satan has over this world. We know the one true God and we have eternal life in him. Let me, let me share this passage. Verse 19 says, we know that we are of God. That's a bold statement. It gets even bolder. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. John's saying, we're right, they're wrong. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That is so politically incorrect. <laughs> that is, post that to your social media today. I know I'm right. Everybody who disagrees is wrong, and I know this because of God. Unless it's true. How do we know this is true? This message did not come from man. It came from the sinless son of God who confirmed the truth of his message by conquering death It's, diff, it's a difficult stance to take, to say, I have confidence that I'm right about God and others are wrong. Unless God himself has come and revealed that, right? This is not a man-made message. 
This is a message from God. Jesus spoke. Before he died, came back from death and ascended visibly in front of credible witnesses into heaven, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. So, so John, having walked closely with Jesus, has this confidence. Listen, brothers and sisters, we need to be confident. If we're going to be effective ministers of the gospel, we, cannot be, we need to settle this issue within ourselves. We need to examine the scriptures we need to come to the conclusion that Jesus cannot possibly be one way to God. He himself said he is the way to God. He's either right or he's wrong. If he's wrong, he cannot be a way to God. If he's delusional or if he is a liar, he cannot be one possible way to God. But if he's right... He's the only way. We need to settle this issue within ourselves. We need to have confidence. That confidence is going to affect how we view our victory over sin and that confidence is going to affect how we minister to others. He is the way, the truth, and the life as we sang earlier. And so we know that we've been rescued from the deception that Satan has over this world. And listen, if you haven't realized that Satan has deceived this world, you're not paying attention. I mean, look around us. The world is going crazy. It's losing its mind. Why is that? Because Satan has deceived the world. It's a, such a simple answer. And we know that we have the one true God in Jesus Christ. We know that we have eternal life in him. We have this confidence. That is the confidence of our victory over sin. It is the confidence that we have of our eternal salvation. Therefore, the last thing you'll see on the handout, because of these three confidences that we can have in Christ Jesus, we guard ourselves. Isn't this an interesting way that John, John goes from what we just read in verses 19 and 20 about Jesus being the one true God and then he just ends his letter by saying, little children, guard yourself from idols. What does that mean? It means to guard yourself from any other false idea about who Jesus is. It means to guard ourselves from pursuing false gospels and false gods in this world. It, it means to guard ourselves from living for anything except for Jesus and his eternal kingdom. John would say in, his, in another one of his letters, 2 John in verses eight and nine, he says, watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. Watch yourselves, guard yourselves. Make every effort to live a life of faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we have confidence that our prayers are answered.
Pray on, brothers and sisters. Pray on and have confidence. We have confidence that our ministry, our intercession is effective. So keep witnessing, keep sharing the gospel, keep inviting, keep loving on your neighbors. Our ministry is accomplishing something of eternal value. Finally, we have confidence that our victory over sin is assured. Jesus will bring to completion what he has begun in every single believer who's trusted in the gospel. We will live with him forever in glory. As we, as we end First John, I think it's appropriate for us to celebrate these things that we have confidence in. And one of the ways that the church has celebrated for the last 2,000 years is through communion. Communion is the act of remembering what Jesus has done. It's the act of remembering that his body was broken, his blood was spilt uh, for our salvation, for our sanctification, and one day for our glorification when we will be with him forever. And so that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna celebrate through communion. And so the worship team is gonna come up and they're gonna lead us through a song. But as they lead us through this song, I wanna invite you First of all, to take a moment of self-reflection. Just stop and consider where you're at with Christ. There might be some people here who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You have not trusted in what he has done on the cross and asked him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and to give you, to give you salvation and eternal life. And you, if you haven't done that, now would be a perfect time to do that. But if you've already done that, I just want you to stop and think for a moment. Am I living faithfully according to this gospel? There are areas of my life where I need to just take some time to repent this morning. And after you've done that, after you've done some self-examination and some self-reflection, and if you desire to take communion, if you desire to celebrate what Jesus has done on your behalf, I invite you to come forward. The communion elements are up here. You can uh, take the bread, take the juice, take those back to your seat and hold on to them because we'll take them together. And, um, and just continue to worship and just continue to reflect. Um, we do have gluten-free options. If, if you're gluten intolerant, the little prepackaged cups are for you. And so let me pray. We'll worship and prepare to receive communion. Father, we love you. We thank you for this chance to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives us confidence in these things. Help us to take that confidence, apply it to our lives, to live faithfully for you, to fight against sin, to be prayerful people, and to be your ambassadors, to view every relationship we have through the lens of the gospel, to look for ways that we can be faithful witnesses for you. And perhaps most importantly, Father, if there's anyone here today who needs to receive your gift of eternal life, your gift of salvation. God, would you move in their hearts now to believe, to believe that Jesus just didn't just die for sins, he died for their sins. He died for my sins. Give them the faith to believe that they can be a new person today in Christ Jesus. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.